Our scripture reading is Genesis chapter 46, verses 26 through 34. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were sixty-six persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were seventy. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. This is God's word. Twenty-two years had passed since old Jacob and his son Joseph had seen each other. Jacob thought Joseph was dead. Joseph was busy all that time being a slave and a prisoner, then basically running an entire country. But against all hope, they reunited. And I think, I think each of us, I know I do, we, with deep longing, place ourselves into their story. And we imagine the life-altering joy of discovering that a loved one that you've lost is actually alive after all. Can you imagine that? Very few people can. For instance, 22-year-old Laura Van Ryn and 18-year-old Whitney Sarek in 2006 were students at Taylor University in Indiana. And one day, a tractor-trailer lost control on the highway and slammed into a van uh, that these two college students, amongst other students, uh, were traveling in, killing several of the students, and Laura Van Ryn died. Whitney, uh, survived, Whitney Sarek survived the crash and was rushed to a hospital. Now, the crash site was a total chaotic mess. And, and in the destruction, in the wreckage, in the carnage, uh, the purses of these two young women were switched. Well, that means that the photo IDs of these two young women were switched. And in a string of very rare circumstances, the dead woman's body was misidentified. And the survivor, who was in the hospital, in a coma, because of bruises to her face and to her body, was virtually unrecognizable. Because of all this, uh, the two identities, the two women, were mistaken for each other. And so the deceased woman was buried by the wrong family. 
and the surviving woman was being slowly rehabilitated. And alongside of her was loving with her, caring for her, was the wrong family. It was only about two months later that the family taking care of uh, the survivor in the hospital started to realize that something was not right. And according to Dateline NBC, who uh, two years later in 2008 interviewed both families, um, it was five weeks since Colleen Sarek had taken one fateful call when she was told her daughter Whitney had been killed in a high-speed car crash. Now, the same people who had called then, the Grant County, Michigan coroner and the Grant County chaplain, the same people were calling her back, and she heard these words in the middle of the night over the phone. We have reason to believe that your daughter Whitney is alive. Can you imagine that? And Colleen Sarek, the mother, uh, years later described in summary, what the entire process of grief and then unexpected, unimaginable reunification felt like. She used three words, being complete again. Now, what that family experienced is very rare, granted, okay? And what Jacob and Joseph experienced was very rare. You know, we've all lost people that we haven't gotten back, and our bodies our minds, our souls bear scars that will not fade away in this lifetime. Some, some of our relationships will never be the same in this lifetime. So quite authentically, the Bible declares that all of creation groans for being complete again. And the God of the Bible grants very rare foretastes, whispers, of that coming restoration. The reunification of Jacob with his son Joseph was a foretaste, was a whisper of God restoring all of creation, of restoring what was lost and broken. You may have heard of Christmas in July. Well, today is Easter in November, okay? Jacob and Joseph reuniting is about the biblical hope of restoration. It is possible for you to live without hope. Even if you're a Christian here, it is possible for you to live your life without hope. I don't recommend it. Now look, of course, we have to anticipate difficulty in our lives. We have to anticipate pain and conflict, injustice. It would be unwise for us to not anticipate such things. But Christian hope, Christian hope, focuses on God's promise to resurrect and restore you. Now, Jacob had anticipated that he would die in his grief. Going back several decades, as we recall Jacob's difficult life, he had lost his mother, Rebekah, while he was in exile uh, for two decades in Paddan Aram, uh, where he found wives and started raising a family, but in exile, running in fear from his brother Esau. His, his brother Esau's relationship with him was very complicated. And when Jacob returned 
uh, to his home. His mother, Rebecca, had died. She had died in his exile, and he never saw her again. And then as he began raising his family and his children began growing up, his beloved wife, Rachel, died giving birth to Benjamin. After that, he lost his son, Joseph, when Joseph was a teenager, believing that Joseph was dead. And many years later, uh, he lost Simeon, in a sense, because Simeon was being held captive uh, by this official in Egypt who was selling grain to Jacob's sons. And in response to all of this difficulty and trial and grief in his life, uh, he had said, if you go back to Genesis chapter 42, verse 36, Jacob had summarized his life by saying, everything is against me. So you see, Jacob's loss and grief had turned him into a pessimist. But one day his sons returned to him from Egypt and they basically said, Dad, we have reason to believe that your son Joseph is alive. And when Jacob uh, recovers from the disbelief of such an amazing realization, uh, God said to him, and this is in Genesis chapter 46, verses 3 and 4, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Which means Joseph is going to be with you when you die. And we see in today's passage that Joseph presented himself to his father Jacob after 22 years and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And then Jacob says to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, and know that you are still alive. Although Jacob had anticipated that he would take his grief to his grave with him, like his grandparents Abraham and Sarah, who, figuratively speaking, received their son Isaac back from the dead, God restored to Jacob and to Jacob's family and to Joseph what they all thought was lost forever. This lost son returned theme is key to understanding the heart of God. This theme comes up again and again in the Bible and especially in the New Testament and it is the key to understanding the mission of God in history, in the world and even in your life. God promised from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 and throughout the Old Testament, God promised to restore humanity, essentially humanity being his children who were dead to him. In Luke chapter 15, this famous passage in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus tells three parables that really capture God's mission uh, and really captured the mission of Jesus Christ. He tells the parable of a shepherd who finds one lost sheep. Then he tells a parable of a woman who finds one lost precious coin. And then he tells a parable about one father who lost his prodigal son and then finds him again. 
And in all three scenarios, the shepherd, the woman, the father, all rejoice over what was restored to them. And so Jesus says in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So Jesus claimed that God was beginning to recover what was lost spiritually, physically. That's what Jesus's miracles were really about, you know, healing people, resurrecting people who we see would die eventually anyway. Uh, Why was he doing that? Because the miracles of Christ were signs of God's coming restoration, authority over all that was broken in the world, in creation, in humanity, in you. And the greatest sign of God's coming restoration is an empty tomb. And so the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, if the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. The message of Christianity, it's not simply wishful thinking or blind optimism. Christianity is not simply an opiate for the masses, according to one philosopher. By the way, uh, Christianity does become those things. It does become blind optimism or wishful thinking or an opiate for the masses when the church and Christians misunderstand and misuse the message. But the original message of the gospel, according to Jesus and his apostles in the New Testament, It is the brightest and boldest opposition to the chaos and the decay that is all around us. And it's all summarized in conclusion at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, when the one who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. So my, my encouragement to you to today, today, my invitation and my challenge is for you to begin to expect far much more of God than you do by putting your greatest hope in this coming restoration. Your expectations are usually too weak. Like Jacob, we base our expectations on what we've seen. In a hard life. And look, I'm not, I'm not really criticizing that. I'm not criticizing Jacob. I'm not criticizing you. Uh, in a sense, that is very realistic. In another sense, it's immature. And, and I don't use the word immature uh, to, to belittle you or insult you. Uh, what I mean by immature is incomplete. It is very realistic to base your expectations on what you've seen in this difficult world, in this hard life. But it is incomplete to think that way. For instance, uh, C.S. Lewis once said, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an, ingr- like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant 
by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You know that not only not only our worst crimes, not simply your worst thoughts and words um, and your darkest actions, but even humanity's greatest achievements aim far too low when they are not conceived, planned, carried out in expectation of God making all things new. God's coming restoration is the reason, is the basis for all the good that we do and create and give and build and design and love. So yes, grieve death. Protest against injustice. But do these things appropriately. Appropriately. Don't ignore your grief. Don't ignore injustice. You must recognize these things. Your grief, uh, the outcry against injustice in the world, uh, these proclaim that things are not the way they should be. The worst thing you could do is ignore your grief. The worst thing you could do is look away from injustice. But grieve and cry out appropriately. And what I mean by that is... You must recognize that you're protesting, uh, that, that your grief, that your sorrow ultimately is not where you get your comfort or your hope from. You will begin to recover from a loss, but another loss is coming. You will work against one injustice, but another injustice will come. And so your hope must be beyond the endeavors of this life. Your hope must be in the foundation for all of your good endeavors. The fact that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans 5 verse 2. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now you may be thinking at this point, well, I still don't have any hope. I don't. Look, here is where I think your hope begins. I think you begin by recognizing, rejoicing in a restored spirit. And here's what I mean by that. On the cross, God lost his precious son. And on that very first Easter morning, God's only son was restored to him. But Jesus, his death, his resurrection, it was just the beginning, just the beginning of God's full restoration process. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 said, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. And Paul went on to say, you, by nature, were children of wrath. But Paul went on to say, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. You see, the spiritual renewal comes before the physical renewal in God's restoration process. 
Again, Jesus in his parable saying about the father whose lost son was returned to him. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Do you see? God the father lost you. Hope begins when you make God's promise to restore all things personal. God lost you. You were his precious son. You were his precious daughter. And like the prodigal's dad, like, like the prodigal's dad who said to everybody in the house, rejoice with me. My son's come back. Like Jacob who said, I can die in peace because I've seen you again, Joseph. God rejoices because you have been restored to him by the reconciling death and the life-giving resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so once again from Luke chapter 15, I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So I think that the first sign of your future restoration is your restored spirit. You were dead in your sins. You were an object of God's wrath, his just wrath because of your sin and your rebellion. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love for you, even when you were spiritually dead in your sins, he made you alive with Jesus Christ. Your spiritual life is a foretaste, is a whisper of the coming restoration of your body, your relationships, along with all of humanity and creation itself. The spiritual restoration is a foretaste of your physical and your complete restoration. And let your hope begin there, my friends. And if you do not believe that you have been restored, that your soul has been renewed by the grace of God, that you are still spiritually dead and need the life of God breathed into you, then you talk to me. You talk to another Christian that you respect and we'll help you recognize the love that God has for anyone who will come to his son, believing that only Jesus can make a dead soul alive. Christian hope focuses on God's promise to resurrect you, to restore you. Our culture uses the word hope as though it's just wishful thinking, a good guess, a longing for a desire to come true. I hope the weather's going to be good tomorrow. I hope my investment uh, returns well. But hope in the Bible is a word that signifies God's promise will come true. What we believe God has promised, God will absolutely fulfill. And the message of the Christian's hope focuses on God's promise to resurrect and restore you. The gospel is really about a family reunion. It's really about a reconciled society and culture. The gospel is about a healed body someday. 
The gospel is about a liberated mind. The gospel is about a productive and fruitful vocation. It's about an irrepressible joy and an indestructible life. So expect much more from God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the hope of your coming restoration that we see in Jacob's reunion with his son, Joseph. In the prodigal son's reunion with his father. In that shepherd's reunion with his lost sheep. Uh, Father, we confess to you that we expect far too little of you. And our hope is directed towards things that aim far too low in the light and the glory of your plans for humanity and all of creation. Father, redirect our hope based upon your promise of restoration, based upon the evidence of an empty tomb. You who have given life to our dead souls, we expect and wait and long for the restoration of our bodies our relationships, and all of creation. Until then, may we live in hope of your promises. And Lord, if anybody who is listening does not know the hope of your coming restoration and resurrection and reconciliation, I ask that you would give them the gift of faith to wake up, to come alive, and trust you for the first time. In the name of Jesus, our risen Savior, Amen.